Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Anthology of Horror. I am your host and your narrator, spring Jack, and it is my pleasure today doing a topic that I can safely say I've researched so much it has invaded my fucking nightmares, much like the Girl Next Door episodes did, um, but invaded my nightmares to the point that it's happened twice in a row now. I've been uh, doing some pretty serious deep diving research on this one because most people, I do say most, I know some of you guys do, uh, they have no idea what I'm about to start talking about, at least not in the traditional sense. So to sum up and to give you a brief overview of what is going to be covered in today's episode, I'm going to be talking about genies, but they were actually called Jin, with a D, J, I, N, N. And they are nightmare fuel. Terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Um, most people don't realize the horrifying legend that that originated from. The blue, goofy-ass genie from Aladdin who's me. Hey, rub this. Yeah, most people don't realize where that stems from. And the truth of the history of that mythical being is fucking horrifying. And that's what we're going to be going over today. Um, at this time, please allow me to give you a disclaimer that this podcast is not safe for work. If you are easily offended and you have a uh, less than thick skin, this is your chance to turn off the podcast. If you may potentially be offended by me talking about the genie from Aladdin's huge blue cock for more than a minute at a time, turn it off now. If you're playing this podcast for children, you're a terrible person. Please turn it off now. Not safe for work, not safe for school, not safe where anybody that is sensitive or whatever derivative of that word might hear it. Ye be warned. And on that note, this podcast is ad-free guaranteed because I value your time. You guys have never dicked me around, so I've never dicked you around. As of right now, I promise to never read you fucking commercials for a product I don't really believe in about boner pills or fucking something dumb. I'm not going to sell you something that was sold to me because I want money. I work for a living. I enjoy doing this. So thank you very much for tuning in because I appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, I appreciate all of you guys who are emailing me and reaching out. You guys have been nothing but supportive. I know I threatened to, uh, threatened to be cool with receiving hate mail just uh, because I haven't. It's not the overwhelming amount. So thank you guys for making this uh, overall positive experience. I appreciate it. It's really, uh, it's really been quite the stroking of my ego, which needs to happen. It's not going to stroke itself. So that being said, oftentimes I run fake comedy sketch ads on this show. I do not own the rights to any of these these uh, fake ads, nor do I claim to. And uh, they also, if they were a real product or if they resembled a real product, it does not endorse my show. It's strictly comedy to break up the monotony, monotony of me illiterately talking in circles. With that being said, here's a brief message from somebody that uh, does not sponsor me. Hi, I'm BJ Smith, football player, businessman, and father of 18 adorable kids. Throughout my career, my coach pumped me so full of stirrups and hatred, I couldn't feel pain. Shoot, I even break my own leg for fun. They made me play when I was ill or injured, and that was because I was a little more than a piece of meat to them. And now, you can too. With BJ's Fit Football, I'll take you through all the necessary steps 
to get fit for football and sticking it to the main. Using only a 400-pound duffel bag, luxurious gym, massive intakes of steroids, and a personal oxygen mask, you will be amazed as all those pounds fall off and flabs turn to muscle. Hell, you'll want to whip some ass because you'll be fighting fit. You'll learn how to argue with officials, beat up enormous men, break legs, and lose weight, especially in the brain. BJ's Fit for Football, out now on Beta and VHS. Remember, to win the game of football or life, you have to annihilate everything in your path in a blind rage. Well, I can't say that I disagree with that. Just another brief disclaimer here. The rabbit hole on this episode goes deep. So if you, uh, if you don't want to be scared for a while or have some weird thoughts running through your head and potentially invading your dreams, which is surprisingly common, as I will inform you some of the stories regarding that. Uh, this is a spooky one. This one has officially scared the fuck out of me. And I've been scared of these since I was a little kid because of my grandfather. But this is uh, this is probably my comfort zone. So you guys are going to hear firsthand what does it for me and how it scares me. So uh, ho- hopefully you enjoy that. See how hard I'm crying right now as I'm trying to read this? You'd know. Let's just dump right into it. Let's go dick first into these fucking things. So, this originally started as a exorcist episode. But, with my research into the world of the paranormal, I began to start digging into anything that I could to find details in regards to malevolent hauntings, spirits, possessions, so on and so forth. So at first... I turned to my former religion of the Roman Catholic Church to look inward to that religion for maybe some answers or some interesting thoughts, some inner monologue inspiring material. But unfortunately, the topic of demonology predates even that religion. So my answer, it seemed, was to begin digging into other faith systems. So I began to start studying the Hebrew religion of Judaism, or being a Jew, And as you can imagine, that took up quite a bit of time. So then, however, I came across something that made me take a huge step back and reassess some patterns of thought that I had been forming about all this shit in the first place. So this podcast is going to be a bit of a special one because it's going to contain contributions from people who are more familiar with certain matters of faith than I am, which is quite a few of them. Um, They're not necessarily published authors, but just people with pretty valid opinions that are well-informed. Uh, And they all choose to remain anonymous. But they allege to have had insight or personal experience in regards to the topics that we will be covering. So I'm going to go on the in-depth approach to look at uh, the demons. I use that that word loosely because it's just an adopted term. I just imagine quotes around it. Uh, The demons that show up in the Islamic faith, which are known as the jinn. D-J-I-N-N. In Western civilization, sometimes known genie. So, I will openly admit, I am not particularly familiar with the religion of Islam. However, in the past couple of weeks, I've become increasingly interested in it from an academic point of view. So, it's hard to uh, dig through the forums and find the people that are just blatantly lying to you, or people that might have some sort of a realistic story. Uh, this, this podcast will be a collaboration with myself, sharing what I've learned, and a couple other people who have compiled decent amounts of information What with their experiences and what they learned. So, 
With all that being said, let me start off by explaining my understanding of the gin going into this. I am going to be explaining this from my point of view as a Westerner who was raised Roman Catholic, and my views may not reflect those of Muslims or Hebrews. However, being that I have had my hands on so many aspects of the different religions researching all this shit, I personally feel that I have made some connection that others may argue and contest, but something that's worth noting. So, note that nothing I say should be taken as hard, concrete proof or evidence, and I will state a great many facts and then offer my insight to some of them. So just be warned, I am not a fucking scholar when it comes to theology. And not really a believer, to be perfectly honest. So for an extended view into what these entities are, there are a bunch of videos that you can watch. Uh, there's an author who wrote a book on the, on the, about a book or two, actually, I think, on the topic, and her name was Miss Rosemary Ellen Guiley. She's a, a wild-eyed old white lady, so yeah, it's a good, interesting video watching. But from my understanding, the jinn are sentient beings created by either God or Allah, depending on what you believe, Satan, the spaghetti monster, whatever. I'm not speculating any of that. They were the masters of the earth before mankind took over, and it was taken away from them because God or Allah was displeased with how they were utilizing it. They do not remain on the same plane of existence as us. I can't even begin to tackle how or why that is, and I do not pretend to know the answers to all that, and anyone who does, uh, or they claim to, should be treated with heavy fucking skepticism, because it's ancient fucking stories. But according to these ancient stories, the jinn were beings who were created from smokeless flame, and as such, are alleged to be extremely hot-tempered. They are impulsive, intense, and very focused on their task at hand. At one point, they were the preferred species of God, and as explained uh, by Hannah, old fucking religious figure of some notoriety, I don't know, I don't remember how, they were a vast and expansive race of beings. They engaged se seemingly in much of the same functions that we do. They all had a purpose or a job. They had families, they had communities, and they had clans. They also had rulers, and one of these jinn named Iblis forms a direct parallel to the Judeo-Christian character of Halel, otherwise known as Lucifer, or the Greek Phosphoros. The one main difference is that he was never an angel. He was, however, the most powerful of all the jinn. And he was even granted access to walk amongst heaven with the angels at his leisure. And he was also the only jinn ever allowed to do that. When God slash Allah created man, Adam, he commanded all of his angels and all of the jinn to bow and kneel before the creation and to love him. And at first, all did except for Iblis. Much like the story of Lucifer in the Bible. It is we who created you and gave you shape. Then we bade the angels prostrate to Adam, and they prostrate, not so Iblis. He refused to be of those who prostrate. So you can see a lot of parallels already with that and the, the war in heaven and the eviction of Lucifer. And as you can see, Iblis, once again prideful and arrogant, rebelled against the desires of God and was forever cast out of heaven, but was also given the opportunity to terrorize mankind as a test to see who was loyal to the holy ways of the Lord and who would stay on hell, which is where he was sentenced. So now on top of that, there are other correlations between the demonic as well as the jinn and the angels, and in my opinion, encountering any angel would be a terrifying experience due to their dual existence uh, and being some of the holiest of creatures, but also having one wing dipped in blood to enforce the wrath and vengeance of God slash Allah as well. 
I could imagine that encountering one of these jinn, being bitter and envious of mankind in general, I would I'd probably be terrified. There are different classes of the jinn, so with each one having unique identifying traits, those traits I'm going to try to simplify as best I can by the Western standard of the definition of those words because uh, it's really fucking confusing. It's like a whole caste system, but essentially I'm just going to sum it up in basic English because this whole hierarchy of potentially fictional characters is terrifying. But I'm going to break it down by color as uh, it's shitty to do. It's the easiest way to do it. Uh, the first of which is the green jinn. And this class of jinn or divided, uh, the class of the jinn or divided amongst many, the first and the weakest would be the green. They're the youngest and they're not actually green. It's just how they're classified in the ranks of power. So like a green horn, same shit. Or when you say somebody's green at their job, they're not good at it usually. They can do many things, such as manipulate the physical universe, but they are all different. It would be the equivalent of the youngest and most naive. That's all it means. They can be playful, vengeful, sometimes nice, but um, sometimes, most of the time, they're cruel, and as with people, I guess. They have different areas of expertise and talents, also like people, and some are better at areas of skill, such as science, math, engineering, and different things. It all varies. They're very similar to people. It is said that the green jinn only enter our world because they're curious. It's like a temporary vacation, like Amish people leaving from their, their asylum. Uh, it's a temporary vacation from their world, and one of the most common Islamic beliefs is that they live in holes in the ground or caves. One of the worst things that a person can do is somehow find a way to offend this hole in the ground. So that means littering, disturbing, pissing on, or any other type of offensive activity that involves this hole in the ground that can eventually wind up leaving the person uh, attached to a severely emotionally abusive or spiritually abusive or physically abusive uh, uh, just shit at the hands of this angry jinn. Like, it was described as woes in the Quran. It is also said that these holes in the ground which the jinn live in eventually lead into an entire subterranean network, otherwise known as the jinn world. Others believe something similar, such as these holes are entrances to portals which will lead us into the world of the jinn, as stated in the book The Vengeful Jinn by Guiley. It's believed that just to enter one of these portals will bring you into a different plane of existence different dimension in which the jinn are allegedly the masters of the universe. Throughout history, these entities have taken on many different shapes and forms, according to legends. Some of those shapes all depend on what type of mood the entity was and how it chose to materialize. The shapes can include dogs, elves, fairies, and even in some instances, they are known to form into the shape of an angelic entity. Which is scary if you think about angels in the sense of the Bible. What if there were never angels? Then, the next class, the blue jinn, the Aladdin jinn. Um, they are up the ladder. They're also called the Marid. But despite the jump in class, there are not very many of them, and surprisingly, they're considered to be the strongest at all of them. They are known for being extremely reclusive and paranoid shut-ins, and given the choice, they rarely interact with people. Same. It's said in Islamic beliefs and folklore that the blue jinn, as heinous as they are, are responsible for saving the entire race of jinn in a battle between all of them and the red jinn. For those of you that do not know, the red jinn are a different class of, a, class of demon or entity entirely, and we'll talk about them soon. But just for the inclusion in this section, the red jinn are worshippers of the Islamic equivalent to the Roman Catholic devil, and that would be the Islam's version, Iblis. So in terms of strength and power, it's said that the blue jinn are the oldest and most powerful of them all. And the strength lies on the scale just below the strength and power of an angelic being. 
It's also said that the blue jinn were involved in a war, and the war was against heaven. And according to the Islamic religion, when Allah ordered them to leave the physical world because they had to submit it to Adam, the blue jinn resisted and put up arms. They decided that they were going to literally launch a war against the angels and fight for their right to party in the physical world. In the end, it said, the war lasted for 2,000 years, and the angels eventually overtook the blue jinn, and not all of them agreed to go quietly. However, many of the blue jinn chose to stay in our world with their clans just out of sight. As time goes on, the blue jinn sit and wait, quiet, calculating, and as they get stronger, the only purpose is believed so that they can strengthen and engage in a second war with the angels so they can fight and regain control to retake their lives in our world. The red entities are the next class of jinn, and they seemingly have only one reason to exist, and that's to bring forth destruction and downfall of all humankind. In folklore and belief, these entities would be the closest thing that the Roman Catholic Church has to demons. They've abandoned all previous ties to their leaders, their families, their clans, and their god in order to follow the Dark Lord, Iblis. They're most commonly described as being either the voice of reason or the voice of destruction, often described as God or Satan by their followers. I'm kidding, that's a quote about Charles Manson. And as a matter of fact, a very common depiction of this particular breed of entity is the popular notion of having one demon sit on your shoulder and one angel on your shoulder. Uh, throughout your life and in every single action, one of them will whisper in your ear and sway you to make a decision, good or bad. But however, the joke is on you because they're both bad. That's scary. It's also believed that these entities being the closest to the demonic throughout history have been confused with such. The issue is, of course, they are known for appearing in the form of reptilian-like creatures, like the Queen of England. And because they have no allegiances to anybody or anything other than that of pure evil, they are also allegedly responsible for many things, such as possessions, physical illness, and some severe-slash-intense hauntings. And then, there's the Black Djinn. And not much is known about these reclusive entities, but in one mention, it has been said that they are the leaders and the rulers of the Blue Djinn. And they are also to rule over the large clans. They're also known to rule over the large clans, and it may in fact be possible that they are kings, or in the least, um, the lowest hierarchy of the caste system, a ruling class of entity over others. And as I said, not much is known, it may be so simple that there is only one black jinn, and he's the ruler of all of them. This is not as far-fetched as you would think, because not much is known, because it's all made up anyway, so it cannot prove to be one way or the other with any facts to reinforce it. But there is one very famous legend known as the Testament of Solomon, and in this testament, at the side of King Solomon, there was a black jinn, and King Solomon had complete control over him. And whenever a green or blue jinn defied their orders, it was the black jinn's responsibility to punish them. In any event, regardless of who or where the legends came from, you can view Testament of King Solomon online if you so desire. The other thing that is noteworthy is that at the current time, with what little is known about these particular entities, it seems that no matter what the status is, they are very important amongst the food chain in the jinn world. And they are in positions of power, and that's to be sure. And it is power that has been gained by the rule of an iron fist. Iron fisting is no joke. This is not something that they were elected to do. This is something that they seem to have deserved, possibly by birthright, possibly by natural selection. Unfortunately, we just don't know. Possibly uh, by whoever made up this story. There are different types of classes, as we mentioned above, and uh, or mentioned previously. And as you can tell from my speaking about these recently, not much is known about very many of them, but the least known is the yellow class of jinn. Quite honestly, there's nothing I can tell you about them, and the issue is that they are reclusive not only from humankind, but from their own kind as well, and they seem to be hermits and recluses even in their own species. So, uh, boom. Uh, it's a different flavor of gin. And on that note, 
Just a word briefly from somebody that doesn't sponsor me. I'll be right back. 65 bracelets. Dirty street trash clothing. Something missing? Complete the look. Complete the look with a single-hand fingerless lacy glove at Vice City's one-stop shop for people who know underwear should be worn on the outside. Wow, you look trendy. Complete the look. Complete the look. Ah, complete this. Let's talk about the behavior of the gym. Apparently, they're very sensitive... Some would say soft entities, and they take very, they take offense very easily, and they're known for being quite vindictive. And if the situation arises, they will try to get revenge against everybody who engaged them in any activity against them, regardless of what the original intent was. For example, if a human being has the audacity to try to exercise these entities from a person that has been possessed, they can do that, by the way. These entities will literally take offense, and even though the exorcism may be successful, if the conditions are right, just like in the Roman Catholic faith. They may leave temporarily, but come back way angrier and with more people, or more thin jinns. In Roman Catholic and Judeo-Christian beliefs, it's said that when a demon is exercised, if if the demoniac does not do something to change their life and live for the better, then that demon will return, and it will be seven times stronger as it was before. And it will bring seven times as many demons with it than were originally present. Uh, This is interesting to me because it shows such a minor or such a mirror in these three different faiths. So I guess that we could chalk this one up to being one of the, the many similarities that the Jin share with the classical definition of a demon, or where it came from. Another similarity that I noticed while I was deep diving dick first in this information online between the Jin and the Roman Catholic Judeo-Christian demons is that while neither one of them can actually perform genuine miracles, what they can do is perform the illusion of a miracle. Father of lies, masters of trickery, so on and so forth. Meaning that they can make everything seem as realistic as possible, and they can confuse everybody into believing that they had genuinely witnessed a miracle. But in fact, in the end, one of the most famous examples of that is people rigging shit situations that the outcome looks like they are some type of a hero, like nurses that poison their patients and save them right at the last minute, or like mothers that poison their kids and save them at the last minute, or whatever weird, like, I think it's called Munchausen, I don't fucking know, but something like that. Whatever that weird thing is where you can swoop in and seem like a savior because you rigged the results up until that first place, so you're the only one that can treat it fast because you know what it is. So, like, if I gave you a real specific type of poison that only I knew how to cure, you go to the doctor, doctor realizes you're dying, can't do anything about it, and then they call me, like, say I'm a priest or a chaplain, and I'm like, uh, I can heal this man with the power of faith. And then I uh, just shoot you up with the antidote, and then you're fine, and you think it's the power of faith, and you'll do whatever I want from that point forward. Within reason. It's a very oversimplification of it, but that's essentially what they're doing. Um, yeah, they'll intentionally get a person sick and then cause all types of physical ailments. And then when they're at the, the person is at their spiritual and mental breaking point, they will suddenly appear as a miraculous savior. A miraculous savior, Jesus fucking Christ, and agree to make them better in exchange for their soul or something, something trivial. Usually a grant of permission of some kind is needed. Sometimes it will even be so bold as to promise the person perfect health, health until the day they die, in exchange for a piece of their soul, their entire soul, or just a declaration stating that they turn away from or abandon God. So in essence, the game is very simple. They create the problem, then they show up with a solution. And once they do take away what had been given by them in the first place, they wind up looking like the good guy and somebody that you can trust, and in the end, you wind up getting fucked. This is Manipulation 101, and they are the masters at it. It's said that these entities can influence a person's thoughts and dreams simply by whispering into its ear, Jump off the bridge. Jump off the bridge. 
Jump off the bridge. Jump off the bridge. It has also been said that they can even aggressively enforce suggestions that eventually become actions from this person that they are oppressing. You will jump off the bridge. Well, they cannot actively engage with the physical world, and they have not. They have been known to do so uh, in small and minor yet distracting things that can affect a person, especially during a critical moment when you're questioning your sanity and about to jump off a bridge. For example, a man could be cleaning a gun in his house, and when he puts it back together, a very loud crash could be heard in his home and startles him, and eventually he accidentally forces his finger to pull on the trigger, which would eventually cause his death and look like a suicide. Why he was cleaning a gun that was loaded, pointed at himself, I will never know, but... A Darwinian nightmare. They can also lightly influence the environment, causing you extreme stress and lack of sleep. What do I mean? Think. Imagine going to bed, getting under the covers, preparing to fall asleep. And now, just as you're about to fall asleep, imagine you hear a noise in or outside your bedroom. Jump off the bridge. Jump off the bridge. Jump off the bridge. Imagine a phantom footstep that walks across your door's threshold. There's somebody clearing their throat (coughs) in the corner of your bedroom. Excuse me. Where you know there's no person there. Imagine hearing a whisper, jump off the bridge. Or a whistle sound from within the room that you're currently in. Your eyes show you that no one is there and your nerves start to wind up, setting you on edge. And your sixth sense kicks in and all you can do is sit there panicking and getting ready to run like fuck. Now imagine every single day is like this for months at a time. It would be safe to assume that you would be constantly tired due to your lack of peaceful sleep at night. I'm there. This would drain you and force you to eventually give up on both your mental and physical health, and you would come to a breaking point. For whatever reason, this is exactly what their endgame is. Also noteworthy, the symbol of an evil jinn is a camel. They appear in many dreams. Uh. Hi, I'm Jeremy Robar, entrepreneur, VIP, and founder of the Revolutionary Program, Think Your Way to Success. It's a three-step program that's been changing lives and my income for the last two years. Five years ago, I was a nobody, just like you. After my Think Your Way to Success program, I spend the entire weekend in my jacuzzi or engaging in the exciting sport of domino toppling. Hey, if you can think it, you can do it. One of my award-winning courses is sure to be perfect for you. The first course I call Think, Hold That Thought, Complete, because that's what you do. Step two is known as Learn, Start, Doing, where I explain the mysteries of starting. Or take the new accelerated course that will have you laughing and hugging strangers. Motivate, demonstrate, then motivate again. Just listen to these endorsements and remember, these people volunteered. They aren't being paid much. I've been on the Think, Hold That Thought Complete program, and I have to say, I'm finally going to start my career in being a well-paid rich person. Yeah, I've been thinking my way to success for a while now. It's some good stuff. Call now and sign up for my Think Your Way to Success program. And if you want to think really fast, try my Crank It Out program. Call 1-866-434-SELF. Hey, don't just do it. Think about it. So as stated in the beginning of this podcast, the Jinn have been known to take possession of people. And the exact reason for why they do so or how they do so uh, is currently unknown. The fact remains that there are many times that this does, in fact, claim to happen. And it crosses over throughout multiple religions throughout different periods of history. What do I mean by this? Many times the activities of a Jinn in your home will be naively classified as a poltergeist when it is not the case. The same goes for alleged possessions. Many times, however, people are just mentally ill and uh, religious people like to blame it on something other than their bad genetics. Many times, that doesn't mean that people with mental illnesses are subpar at all. It's not what I'm saying. Just saying that people are very quick to shift the blame elsewhere when it really shouldn't be. There's no one to blame. That's what I meant. 
Many times, people not of the Muslim faith will be undergoing the entire ordeal of possession, and oftentimes, once it escalates to the point where the Roman Catholic Church is involved, they will send out an exorcist to conduct the rituals, but upon completing the multiple exorcisms, there will be no effect. This is also not true. Usually, after much investigation and much time being expended, the priest-slash-exorcist will conclude that the possessing entity is not one of the Roman Catholic faith's knowledge, but either of the Hebraic faith or of the Muslim faith. And at the time, the priest or exorcist has to contact and involve the clergy of those respective faiths. It's not uncommon for a priest or exorcist to work with an imam or a rabbi to evict the possessing entity from its victim. It would be rare because the Catholic Church doesn't do exorcisms anymore. Allegedly. One of the most interesting things about the possession involving these entities is the fact that they claim to enter the body and then travel through the person in the blood. So this is, of course, after a period of what the Roman Catholics slash Judeo-Christians describe as the diabolical oppression. What? Just like possession in any other religion, these entities are responsible for causing all types of physical injuries, such as problems speaking, problems hearing, problems seeing, and... Other events such as the inability to stand up straight or chronic pains, and anybody who is in the family or who is familiar with the topic of possession in any of the previous religions I have mentioned will know that one of the sets of signs of such possession in a nonsensical and maniacal activity that will happen from a person who can no longer control themselves. So like throwing shit against the wall or fucking themselves with the crucifix. They will appear to be genuinely insane, like tearing their clothes off or laughing hysterically. And there are reports of the possessed being known to dance wildly and engage in just disturbing sexual promiscuity. These entities can also be responsible for uncontrollable fits of rage, loss of body, bodily functions, um, spasms, paralysis, uh, temporary or permanent, and many other physical ailments as well. Other forms of emotional assault, much like the Roman Catholic Judeo-Christian demon, involve a severe depression of the person who came which can cause long-term depression and a consistent thought of suicide. Another issue is that these entities can also enforce their own will upon a person that they are possessing, which could result in acts of violence and or homicide. In time, this form of inflicted insanity can be used as their weapon and, as stated above, can push a person towards all sorts of crime and dangerous activity. In the event that you were ever possessed by a jinn, the first thing that you would have to do is try to figure out which religion the entity believes in. Much like people, they have complex belief systems. They are not bound to one particular religion, and they have been granted free will, just like people. They can believe in many different forms of religion, so if the entity believes in the religion of Islam, obtaining the help of a priest exorcist will be useless, because the entity is not going to believe in that god. Uh, this agent is trying to force it out in the name of somebody else. The same goes with the Jewish religion. If the entity believes in the Jewish religion, the priest or imam would not be able to expel this particular entity from a person. Uh, because that would not be appealing in the faith of the actual entity. And once you obtain an idea of what faith in this entity believes in, then you would have to get a type of religious clergy. Then you'd have to get a type of religious clergy from the particular religion to take care of that problem. Specifically, you'd have to find them. And as with most cases, that cannot be guaranteed to be successful, but a chance would be at least worth a shot. So, scholars have argued over the fact of whether or not the Prophet Muhammad was visited by an angel or a jinn at first, because if you haven't read the Quran, he's visited by an angel, essentially telling him to leave home and go travel. Essentially, they are referring to the, uh, the vision that awakened him to begin acknowledging the visions that he had been experiencing his whole life and writing them into what eventually became their Quran. The Prophet Muhammad was known for going off into caves and meditating to engage in the trance, and jinn are known cave dwellers. 
Um, let's see, they were known to be cave dwellers, so that's uh, definitely room for conjecture. But it was uh, it was alleged that this entity, the genie that he found, followed it around the prophet for some time after the event. Interesting. From historical accounts of the jinn and demons, we know that they often make people do things they don't want to do by threatening them or using physical force. In biblical accounts of angelic encounters, people often feared the angels because they usually appeared when God was unhappy with that person. The angel was sent to chastise or punish, usually. In the Arabic world, however, the jinn would be even more feared and more powerful than an angel in that sense, and Muhammad was able to see the creature from any angle he looked, implying he was multidimensional in nature, as were the jinn. However, there's no record of an exact description of the entity because Mohammed was skeptical of the creature's true identity. He saw it on several occasions after the first encounter, but no one else could see it. The creature followed him from one cave to another and often appeared in his home. Mohammed's wife, Kajia, wanted to discover the true identity of the creature and so told her husband to inform her when the entity was present. And when the creature finally appeared, she asked Mohammed to sit on her left thigh and ask him, Can you still see the creature? He replied, he did, and she threw off her veil and asked Mohammed to sit on her right thigh. Kaja then asked him, can you see the creature? He replied, no, it's gone. Uh, Kaja then told Mohammed, be firm by the name of Allah. He is not, in fact, an angel, or he is an angel and not a demon. What? Islamic scholars interpret the test above as meaning that an angel would not stay to look at the uncovered part of a female body. Ah, uh, but a demon would. Also, the creature was visible only when he sat on her left thigh and not her right. And pre-Islamic people believed that the proper sequence of things was not from right to left. If the creature was also visible on the right, this meant to them that it would have been moving from left to right against the balanced movement of the universe and against the will of Allah. Only evil jinn can do this, and angels cannot. This test convinced Kaja that the creature was an angel and not just any angel, but Archangel Jibril. Muhammad still remained skeptical. The angel Jibril is known as Gabriel in most other parts of the world. And in this situation, since even the Muslim slash religious community has decided that this creature was not a jinn or demon, it is to be taken as fact, or for the intents and purposes of this story, at least as fact, that an angel did indeed appear in the form of a demon or a jinn, and Muhammad's validity was questioned by his own people, ferociously questioning everything he said after finding out about his discovery. Because they believed that this creature was indeed a jinn, not an angel, and accused him of retroactively fitting this part of the story to be told as if it were an angel, and so to, in quotation marks, clear the air. On an interesting side note, though, a lot of people thought that Muhammad himself was, in fact, a jinn because of his proclivity for going to caves and abandoned known jinn-related sites. And now a word from somebody that doesn't sponsor us. I'll be right back after a message from a fake company. The store leading the fight against communism is having a blowout sale. Ammunation has a wide array of peacemakers. Come by Ammunation on Militia Mondays, exercise your Second Amendment rights, and get 10% off all armor-piercing bullets. We're the only gun store that lets you try it before you buy it. Need anti-tank missiles? We've got them. Flamethrowers? Oh, yeah. No credit? No problem. No money down? 90 days, same as cash. Shoot now, pay later. During the 10-minute waiting period, fire off a few rounds of the ammunition gun range, featuring faces of famous commie pinkos. Come by ammunition and register to win an anti-aircraft gun actually used when we whooped Australia's ass. This weekend is the Ammunition Film Festival with free screenings of the documentary Red Dawn. Ammunition, protecting your rights. 
Oh, yeah. Like, my rights protected, that's for sure. Okay, but also, now we're talking about the shape-shifting aspect of these things. Yes, you heard me correctly, shape-shifting. They can change forms, manipulate their appearance, just like demons can, just like skinwalkers can, just like whatever can, in order to accommodate whatever purpose it needs serving at the time. One of the most identifying traits of the Jinn is the fact that ultimately they are extremely insidious and mischievous. They've been referred to throughout history as tricksters and that they get their rocks off on completely confusing the minds of mankind. Many cultures throughout history have their own versions of the trickster, like a Loki or a Rasputin. Or, uh, but as time will attest, this is an instantly identifying feature that should begin to raise red flags if you begin to experience these types of things. This is also one of the reasons that Muslims caution their children not to throw water, rocks, sticks, or other projectiles at black dogs or cats, because those are some of the preferred forms of transforming jinn. They are also known, famously, for taking on the forms of birds, goats, mice, and even humans, depending on their agenda. Extremely interesting to note is that jinn cannot take the form of the Prophet Muhammad, but they can, in fact, take the forms of other prophets, especially in dreams. Remind me... Well, I'll remember to tell you about dream sequences the last couple of days that I've been having. Uh, most of the time, however, the particular class of jinn that takes on a habit of using shape-shifting are the young greenhorn jinn. Make no mistake, when I refer to them as young, I mean they are the youngest of the jinn, but they can still be hundreds and thousands of years old in some cases. And even though they're the weakest, they're still stronger than anyone you've ever heard of. Be treated with caution. And some of the things that these types of jinn enjoy doing are haunting people who feel... Uh, they deserve when they feel that they deserve it for whatever reason. They will also appear as apparitions in the middle of the night, and should the opportunity arise, they will distort your vision, affect your reality, and they will terrorize you through mirrors and other reflective surfaces. They will take on forms of animals to scare the fuck out of you, and they'll appear as shadow figures and so on. They will engage in such activities as banging on the walls, giving the appearance of a disembodied voice, whispering, having particular items move from one place to another without an explanation. They will also appear as a creature uh, or creatures which are grotesque and intimidating in order to scare the living fuck out of you. A rather common belief is that the jinn have seen how people react to hauntings and so they mimic the activities that further conceal their identities and enforce the existence of being hidden. The connection between the jinn, angels, and demons. It's very confusing. I'll try to sum it up as best I can. Uh, it's... There's a lot of different interesting takes on the connection between the jinn and paranormal entities, but while this, these beliefs are not widely accepted by Muslims, the connection that they, that they offer are interesting to say the least. So I made a chart that I will upload to the line if you want it, but I can... It's interesting. It's a pretty extensive chart. I will not try to read the chart to you, but if you want it, I'll email it to you. So there are striking similarities and sometimes shocking, but while there are more similarities than, than differences, the uh, what I said before provides... I'll email, email you this chart if you need. It's a quick reference visual to help you figure out the event, a quick, make a quick decision, but um, they're pretty similar. So it seems like they all stem from the same place. While there are many other connections that people have suggested for or proposed, such as the connection of Jin and extraterrestrial... Uh, ultra-terrestrials and other entities, I will not be including that horse shit. And if you want to hear why everything is interconnected, go listen to Alex Jones. But, it should be said, and we're nearing the end of the uh, the actual backstory on the history, but let's talk about the jinn and their free will and why that's relevant. Not all jinn follow the leadership of the desires of Iblis or of whoever's in charge. 
There are jinn that are said to be Muslim, Christian, Jewish, or other religions. Some are nice towards humans, while others are ambivalent or mischievous. But many have chosen to follow Iblis and show malice or malevolently towards humans. But what does that mean? Let's look at the role of religious mythology as well as their capabilities as jinn. Jinn are said to fall into five main categories. Dwellers, souls, devils, evil spirits, or strong spirits. These are really rough translations of the actual categories. The dwellers are also called the haunters, so on and so forth. And those are the ones that choose to live with or around humans, and they are the weakest. The souls are the ones that specifically attach themselves to children. I understand these to be the imaginary friend types. Uh, the evil spirits are stronger than the typical devils and just as malicious in their intent. But the strongest are the strong spirits, or the ifrits. And these are possibly the most famous for being written in Genie and the Lamp stories from Arabian Nights. They're strong, ill-tempered, and rather slow in intelligence. Feral, maybe. The devils are a bit more interesting, and as we commonly hear from Christian groups, many believe that there are no human spirits wandering the earth, but rather they are all demons or angels, and there's nothing in between. From there, you have some people who have expressed a view that the demons are the fallen angels, and... They chose to follow the fallen angel that was cast out of heaven, so on and so forth. The fight in heaven ensued. Lucifer was booted, took all his guys with him. I certainly will not argue either way that you believe, but in both cases, demons are viewed as evil beings doing the bidding of Satan or working to tempt humankind into sin in the way that the devils do when they're doing Iblis's doings, known as Shaitans. And they're holding the same roles technically as the demons from Christianity. As I mentioned before, the jinn are beings that God created of smokeless fire, and they exist on a separate plane of existence from us so that they can interact with our world, but we can't see them do it unless they choose to show themselves to us for whatever reason. The very name jinn translates to those who are hidden or those who are concealed from sight. They quite literally can live in our homes or places of work or anywhere else we would not know unless they choose to make themselves known. Because they are naturally not very fond of humanity, they tend to prefer to live in places with less human traffic, such as forests, cemeteries, warehouses, abandoned buildings, attics, closets, and even restrooms. And now a quick word from somebody that doesn't sponsor me. What's this I found under your bed? The only Engels you're going to read is Laura Engels Wilder. If you think your child might be a red, here are some warning signs. They read complicated literature and have concern for their fellow man. They even like to share. Tell your kids if someone approaches them with pamphlets about recycling, an invitation to a labor rally, or showing any doubts about the fairness of our system, then they should find a teacher or a policeman immediately. Yeah. Uh, Jinn are reported to be able to move objects in our world without us seeing them. As they are especially strong and can live for hundreds, sometimes even thousands of years, they can learn several languages, and uh, they're incredibly fast, capable of speaking to us or making noises that we cannot see where they originate. And they should be able to show themselves to us if they choose. Changing shapes look like animals, deformed beings, or even like humans, depending on what their goal is, with some of them being able to fly and able to invade the human's mind and affect their dreams or speak to them personally, affecting their health. Right here, you can see why this can be interesting in the field of paranormal research. It's actually a field of study. These beings are connected to reports of object levitation, phantom noises, disembodied voices, strippers with a heart of gold, the missile shield, uh, superhuman strength, speaking in tongues, looking like deformed creatures, or dead Aunt Betty, and possessions. And they tend to live in cemeteries, attics, and other creepy abandoned places, as I just said. So yes, it seems to sum up a large percentage of paranormal bullshit. Should we fear the jinn, though? 
Honestly, it seems that those jinn who are ambivalent about humankind are simply not as likely to interact with us. So those that do interact with us are mostly going to be those of strong feelings one way or another. And as even the nice ones can get pissy if they feel insulted or if they fall in love with a human. Yes, it's a very, very famous story. They can do that. Then I would say you just don't want to interact with them. Better safe than sorry. Can they control us? No. Jin have been permitted by God to interact with us and to tempt us, but they can't force anyone to do something they don't want to. But they can, much like demons, take possession of our bodies. Can they be controlled? Yes. The Quran tells stories of King Solomon controlling the jinn and forcing them to work with his ring of power. They helped him court the Queen of Sheba, build palaces, and way more, and there are many other reports of controlling the jinn, but it is mostly seen as witchcraft and thus shunned by most of the Muslim community. However, there is still the common use of the Quranic verse being carved or painted on walls, amulets, blue clothing, and other things that are used to keep the jinn away that in itself is an attempted form of control. Uh, can we exercise the jinn if they do take possession? Yes. As with many religions where possessions are reported, there are Islamic exorcisms. However, it is interesting to remind everyone here that the jinn can be of any religion. Some possessions can occur where the jinn doing the possession are not of the same faith as the person they possess. This can, can, can complicate things when the exorcist tries to remove them in the name of whoever. And the jinn does not acknowledge the authority based on the fact that the individual jinn conflicting with that holy person conducting the exorcism, and they don't agree. This is, however, very rare. Most possessions tend to be by the jinn who are serving Iblis. They do not follow a monotheistic religion as they have rebelled against God their entire life, and in those cases, it's power of God himself to cast them out. Remember, they are most likely going to believe in a God as they are choosing to defy him, so a priest, rabbi, or imam could eventually all effectively exorcise the jinn through strong faith and the will of God. But there are a lot of interesting facts and folklores of the jinn to talk about, and I hope that so far everyone's beginning to understand what the jinn are and how they relate to the paranormal study. So if you'd like to learn more about Iblis or the jinn, I would suggest that you guys write me an email, and I will do that, an episode in-depth about that. So we've touched upon this quite a bit, and I want to get straight in, so I want to get balls deep into the terrifying stories that I found about the jinn, or at least the ones online that allege that they're terrifying stories of the jinn, just like I like to do. These may or may not be scary. As always, when I'm reading stuff on the podcast, I have no idea what they're like until I read them. And now we'll get right into that after a brief word from a fake sponsor. He was a man of peace living on a quiet farm in North Dakota. Till one day, all hell broke loose. Tim, we need you. I'm a man of peace. I'm done killing. I want to raise a family. That's just it, Tim. They've got your family. No! Jack Howitzer is Tim in Exploder. From the heart of America to the jungles of Cambodia, follow one man's quest for peace. Ochi Bat, is that you? Tim, I know you come. Just like old days, we kill everybody. Tim, they've got your wife, but I'm not married. You are now to America. He went in to save his country, but found his family and lost a friend. Hochi! Tim, don't leave me. You taught me baseball, Tim, and how to rough. No! He would have been a fine American. I'll cry when I'm done killing. 
Get yourself a body bag, strap yourself in, start making friends the American way. Exploder. Evacuator Part 2. Rated PG. May include patriotic garbage. All right, so I was looking for stories of the Jin. I haven't read these, like I said, but I figure that the... All right, I've had enough friends that have gone to Iraq and Trashkanistan that they, uh, they've talked about weird enough shit it got me thinking. That's where I got the idea. But I looked for forums with strange military encounters with the Jin or with paranormal in those areas. And I imagine these are uh, pretty interesting because I heard some stories from several years back from people that were deployed to those regions, and they uh, had some weird shit to say. Uh, just weird enough that it was believable, but I don't know. I wasn't there. So, let's start with some of these. Whenever one finds themselves to be a stranger in a strange land, they are bound to be clashes with what they know and the reality of the new foreign realm. Yet in addition to culture shock and just the deluge of new customs and traditions, there is often a collision against the more paranormal aspects of this new place. And according to some reports, this is not only an encounter with strange magical beliefs, but with the actual paranormal entities beyond one's own culture or understanding or experience. Happens a lot in the Middle East. Soldiers far from home, fighting in a weird environment, and the culture has, on occasion, come face-to-face with actual manifestations of one or more of these ancient and persistent supernatural beings of Middle Eastern lore, creating strange and baffling encounters between the modern Western world and the unique supernatural denizens of the East. Few entities in the world are as well-known or as timeless as the Jinn. The hidden. They're described in the Quran. We've been over this. Eavesdropping angels, so on and so forth. So there was one incident that happened in the Kik and Dawa district in central Uganda where the Muslim populace became convinced that a genie was going around terrorizing people and raping women. One day, a disheveled woman emerged from the wilderness and was immediately attacked by the locals who thought that she was the genie in disguise. Uh, she was beaten within an inch of her life, and even the police joined in the assault, shooting her dead. The woman turned out to be a distraught villager who had been desperately searching for her missing husband, but to those who had killed, she was the jinn. There is also the previously mentioned use of black magic using the power of the jinn, which is highly illegal by Muslim law and will bring swift execution, usually without a trial, as is their custom in certain parts of the world. Because it all sounds kind of like religious bullshit and folklore. Um, but in the more rural rural areas, uh, these beliefs are just like true to them, as it is with any culture. So, while considering the deep cultural connections the jinn have in the Muslim roots, it might be tempting to take this all as mere superstition. But Westerners now, since the influx going to the Middle East, have they Westerners have also heard these spooky encounters or heard of them with what appeared to be genie as well and a good source of such tales is from the military presence in the Middle East, like I said, the influx. It seems that there are numerous credible military personnel, some of which I know personally, who claim to have had rather bizarre encounters with what seem to have been actual jinn of legend, which have appeared to the witnesses to be far more than far more than just folklore or legend, that's for fucking sure. Let's talk about one report that comes from June of 2003 from a soldier who had been stationed in Mosul, Iraq, with the United States Army and the infantry of the 101st Airborne. According to the witness, at the time of the incident, he had just involved, been involved in helping to suppress a riot that broke out when the locals were unhappy, unhappy with the corrupt local police, and I'm sure the garrison. 
In order to protect the police, squads were deployed to various police stations 24-7 for their protection, and the witnesses happened to be in one of these squads that evening, keeping watch on a three-story police building located in a cramped section of the town that was zigzagged by narrow roads barely wide enough to drive their Humvees through. The witness describes what happened on his watch as this. Myself and two other guys from my squad were sitting on the balcony of the second floor of the station pulling security on our shift. It was sometime in the night. If I had to guess, I would say it was sometime around uh, 0200 hours while on guard. We would use the light on our rifles to illuminate the car that drove up so we could see if there was any sort of weapon in the vehicle and stuff like that. We heard a car driving towards us from the side of the road uh, on, on the mosque side, so we got ready with our lights to illuminate the car when it came into view, but... Once we saw the car, we shined the lights in the vehicle directly towards the driver, but the driver uh, he, the driver had a typical reaction to the surefire light, which is uh, real fucking strong. He squinted. His eyes, you know, tried to look away from the light. The passenger had a much different reaction, though. His eyes seemed to glow with the intensity by the light, and he stared right back at the light, as if looking through it at us, and it was weird. At the time, best we could describe his eyes were that of a cat in the dark, and the flashlight shining in his face, though. I'd never heard of any person's eyes being able to reflect light like that before, or anything you could purchase to do such things, especially in a second or a third world country. Another possible report dealing with the Jin was relayed by a U.S. soldier deployed to a place called an FOB Endurance in Iraq. That means Forward Operating Base, for those of you who don't know. And it was more or less composed of just some simple tents and an airplane hangar, and it had been taken over from some of the Iraqi forces. And one feature of this camp was a sturdy concrete bunker that was fully equipped with metal blast doors. At some point during the deployment, this witness started a relationship with a female soldier, and they chose the bunker to bone each other in, because it was secure. Only one way in or out. And there was also the fact that, since the camp's noisy generator was situated just outside, they could immediately hear if anybody opened the blast door. However... The bunker trips would not last as long as the two of them had a very strange encounter in there, and the witness would explain as follows. Here's what stopped our bunker fuck sessions. Well, about the uh, second night on, she would wake me in the middle of the night, telling me that she was hearing something inside the bunker with us, and at first I attributed the noise that she was hearing to hedgehogs, and as the part, as that part of Iraq is lousy with them, I shrugged it off until I heard noises too, and then there was no doubt. There was footsteps. The night before the last we stayed down there, I awoke to whispering coming from a corner. Jump off the bridge, jump off the bridge, jump off the bridge. Which was followed by footsteps that approached my side of the bed. I awoke her and reluctantly turned my flashlight on, fearing what came next. But there was nothing. No body, no footprints, and worst of all, the blast door was closed just like we left it. The last night started with her warning whatever was down there that we were not in the mood to be trifled with and that we would just needed to sleep. So we both fell asleep, and as we reassured the other, we just started hearing things. And again that night, she woke me up, and we sat there in total darkness listening to the whispers coming from the corner. Two different voices now. Jump off the bridge, jump off the bridge, jump off the bridge, jump off the bridge. Followed by footsteps approaching our bed, and then our bed violently shook. Just a couple seconds, and then a tremendous sound as if a metal plate had been dropped next to the bed, but in our panic... Took me a good 45 seconds to locate my fucking flashlight, but once again, there was nothing with us. No footprints, no evidence, nothing that made the loud crashing sound, and this was our last night in that bunker, I tell you. Was it the work of the Jin, ghosts, overactive imaginations, creative COs, perhaps? It is hard to say. In 2005, there was also the report of the soldier 
at FOV Warhorse in Iraq. And the weird account is as follows. We had a generator in our office. And I was inside doing my water testing. And I heard the sound of somebody walking on the rocks outside my office. I figured maybe it was security coming by to check on things. So I went outside and there was nobody there. The sound stopped. The moon was bright that night and there was light shining on the rocks from it. I saw shadows of what looked like spiked crescents zipping past my feet. I think he's trying to say like crustaceans. Nice, nice spelling. I looked up and there was nothing, but there was some zipping noise above me real fast. And later, I drove back to my LSA to get something, and while I was backing up the park, someone started banging on my truck. I stopped immediately, thinking I hit something. Got out and looked. Ain't nobody there, and it was about uh, 0400. I went to the bag farm to take more samples and do a general check on water leaks between the last outermost bag and Hescos, there appeared to be a small light dancing around, so I walked over to that area, and it stopped. When the next RWPU site was completed, it was custom to get there before breakfast to start up the generator, christen it, if you will. The AC or heater working in that laver office and set out a clipboard at the distribution point before walking across the road to the defect for breakfast. Jesus Christ, the army uses some pretty cute fucking anagrams, acronyms, whatever, anagrams. So, customary defect. As I left the office to go, I walked past the raw poop connexes and I saw a man in a white t-shirt sitting on his heels leaning up against the connex. I started to go that way to see who it was and what he needed, but when he looked back, he was gone, nowhere in sight. And I say, Rumpelstiltskin, where you at? Um... Yeah, all right. And he had another possible encounter with the Jin, an ex-army security guard working in Karachi, Pakistan in 2005, had a weird story to tell. He had been hired by some affluent families to guard a street in a more upscale district of the city. And one night, something decidedly terrifying happened to him, and neither he nor the families he worked for could explain. And according to one member of the family that hired the guard, sometime past midnight, he was sitting in his chair when we were woken up by his screaming like a girl. As he jumped over the gates of one house and entered in shock, uh, mind you, this man was armed with a big gun with uh, 12 rounds, a uh, pumping action, something like Arnold's weapon in Terminators. Uh, and upon inquiring, he was repeating the same story for one hour. He said that in an empty area between the two houses, he saw a rabbit hopping on opposite to where he was seated. And in instant, the rabbit sort of transformed into a cat while moving towards him. And this was happening, he tried to dispel this event as bullshit. However, he was soon terribly shaken as the cat had now started taking the shape of a sexy woman. Clearly described the transformation, and at the point when he saw half-woman entity, he got so scared he started screaming, and his legs, uh, which were jammed, were able to find the strength to jump into action over the six-foot gate into our neighbor's house. As far as I remember, he left his gun outside, and we had to gather it later while he was crying and cleaning the shit from his uniform NWUs. Our neighborhood remained in a state of shock and fear for quite some time after this, and the guard had been with us for a year, and after that, uh, he was never the same. Soon after, he swapped his duty roster for another guard. He's done. Uh, one retired remote viewer for the United States military named David Morehouse. This is a mm, such a good book. Uh, it's called Psychic Warrior, and according to Morehouse, he was stationed in the wonderful country of Jordan at a desolate valley known as Batanel Ghul, 
which I believe means the belly of the beast, I think. Maybe not. In order to take part in training exercises of the Jordanian troops down here, the location is already weird as it is, with the long valley said to be prowled by demons and ghosts. Oh, it does mean belly of the beast. Man, my fucking my language is getting better. Even the name, Baton al-Ghul itself, having the sinister meaning of belly of the beast. My mistake. Uh, Jordanian soldiers have often told of seeing demons stalking around in the wasteland or attacking people, and the whole valley was said to be a cursed place. But things would get strange for Morehouse when he substantiated, or he sustained a head injury when he was accidentally shot in the helmet during a training exercise. <laughs> oh, man. Morehouse would go on to claim that the injury left him with the weird ability to see the jinn, which he would report on as follows. Sometime in the night, my eyes opened to a surreal light outside my tent. It was like the light of an eclipsed sun, and it wasn't coming from any stove or fire. It filled the night sky. The entire belly of the Vist Valley and the hills beyond were bathed in a strange blue-gray light. I walked to the edge of the bluff and stared off into the distance. Dark figures moved effortlessly across the floor like apparitions. They poured from the rocks in various heaps and shapes and moved about in clusters of tents. I could hear muffled cries from the Jordanian encampment, and momentarily I thought we were being overrun by thieves or Israelis. Israelis? That's interesting. Panicked, I turned to run for help, and colliding with one of the figures, I reflexively closed my eyes, except I didn't collide. I walked right through him. Turning around, I watched the figure disappear over the edge of the bluff. Poof. Another report of alleged inactivity by the military in the Middle East was relayed through a commentator right here on this website that I'm reading, which is Mysterious Universe. Uh, and it was in the forum, Bizarre Encounters with the Weird in the Middle East Wars, suggesting that many of the cases that I covered in this, this podcast could have been some sort of a weird gin story, and many people agree. So the story is as follows. I was in Kabul, Afghanistan on my fourth tour in the Middle East, and at the time I was a platoon sergeant of a PSD unit stationed at ISAF HQ. And that day, there was intel that insurgents were looking to target our vehicles on one of our normal routes. There were only so many different roads to get to NK, and it was hard to change up the pattern. Uh... So I decided to try a completely new route that we haven't driven before. I scouted it using a map and a satellite, and the road looked like it was paved and good, so we headed out. And as we started down this road, we saw it was dirt and not paved. We got stuck in the mud right as this tall wall started. Later, I found out that the old British cemetery was on the other side. Uh, I got out of the vehicle, and I was knee-deep in mud that was not from dirt, but human waste and trash. Took us over an hour to self-extract from the mud, and the worst part was that I had to toss out my favorite pair of boots. Now, I would toss that up to bad luck and coincidence, but around the same time that I was having strange stuff going on, too. I had a room that I could lock, and nobody else could go in, and, and no one else could get in, and I would put something like vehicle keys and or other important items on my bed and leave and lock my room only to come back, and they'd be missing. Start searching everywhere for items, and I could not find them, and I, I would leave again. And they come back. It'd be the exact spot I left them. And this happens on several occasions. Later on, I was reading a couple of books on these Jijin, Letters of the F Legends of the Fire Spirits, and other ones I can't remember the name because I can't read. And my experience lined right up with the module operandi. I mean, modus operandi. Ha ha. They like playing pranks and taking things from people when they have a strong attraction and appear near human waste. Ew. Are the Jinn real? Are they the actual entities that are described in Muslim lore or something different? Whatever the answers may be, these mysterious beings remain firmly entrenched within the cultures and traditions of these countries and are very real to many who live there. 
Yeah, I want to keep up with this military thing because I've found these stories to be terrifying. And I'm going to keep going with some gin stories right after this. Asian pajamas? Chinese bandana? Something missing? With a throwing star, kendo sticks, or nunchucks at Vice City's one-stop shop for the silent fashion assassin. Wow, you look like a psycho. Complete the look. First off, I'd like to apologize for any and all spelling or grammatical errors, as that's the least of my concerns at this moment. Time isn't something I have an awful lot of, so I'm just trying to get the story out. I subscribed to this subreddit a few weeks back after some Google searches led me here, and my sole purpose for the subscription was to maybe find an explanation or some shared experiences, anything that I could really relate to what I saw, and I found that. However, none of these stories are really from the Middle Eastern region where my experience happened. Now I decided to share my story here with the hope of receiving some info or an explanation about what happened. I'm a soldier in the United States Army, and I'm currently a little over halfway through my deployment in Iraq. About a month ago, they sent a couple of guys from my platoon home for various reasons. Gym-related injury, family tragedy, children being born, etc., so this left us a little bit short-handed. I ended up with an extra guard shift at the motor pool. It's a big parking lot with military vehicles, essentially, from two to four. Four rolls around, our replacement show up, and we're relieved right on time, so I grab my weapon, head back to my room, and just as I pass through a small opening, the T-wall barrier, uh, it was about 50 meters from the shack I was staying in, when something caught my eye in the cement sidewalk in front of me. I stopped, dead in my tracks, and in front of me about 30 feet was a black and white cat. I don't know why, but the sight of it caused me to jump, and for some reason I was scared. Not typical, like, oh shit, but like overwhelming paranoia. Cat just sat there and didn't move, but it stared at me. And then I noticed something a little bit odd because I have a cat back in the States who's the light of my life. Ugh. Black cat, white paws, and a white chest, and a little silver, a little sliver of white running down the length of the face. And this cat looked exactly like mine. Now, obviously, I knew it wasn't, but the sight of a familiar looking feline friend was something enough to relax me or to relax the jumpy feeling that I'd previously felt. Took about three steps forward, slung my rifle to my side, and crouched down with one arm outstretched in an attempt to coax the cat to come over. My lips uh, pursed just to make a little noise when it came, when I became completely paralyzed with fear, because from my eye level standing, my eye level standing of about six feet to my eye level, crouched about three feet, the animal I was seeing, it looked completely different, as if my visual perspective completely changed the appearance of the animal. Like one of those optical illusion perspectives based on the art sculpture. And when I was looking at it, no longer looks like a cat, but a huge dog crouched with its head lowered just off the ground. All rationality abandoned, and it abandoned me at this point, and all I could do was stare back at whatever it was. I couldn't make out much of a face. The only light source around was from a street lamp about 50 meters behind me past the T-wall. But I was able to make out were its eyes, which I could see clearer than daylight, and they were human. Look in the mirror, open your eyes as wide as you possibly can, and that's pretty much what I was looking at. Just stared at me, and I stared back, and I will tell you now, I've never been more terrified in my whole life. I slowly stood back up, half expecting whatever it was, to take on the appearance of a cat once again, but it didn't. The thing didn't move a fucking inch, though, through this entire encounter, and at this point, my weapon wasn't even enough to make me feel safe. I backed up away slowly, and keeping my eye on what the thing was in front of me. I had just reached the gap in the T-wall again when the thing just disappeared. And it if I didn't back away or vanish into the shadows, it just wasn't there. But right before it vanished entirely, I heard what sounded like a 
like a low but somehow loud guttural growling noise that resonated off the wall. Um, and all the air that resonated off the surrounding walls and the areas that had all the rooms in it. So needless to say, as soon as I passed back through the T-wall, I bolted. I ran as fast as my legs could carry me and with all my gear on to my team leader's room across the gravel road. I took a moment to calm myself down before entering his room. I slept on his floor uh, that night and I blamed it on the fact that we had to get up early and the alarm on my phone hasn't been working lately. I haven't seen anything then, since then, but every other night when I'm by myself... I'll get that same horrible sense of anxiety or paranoia that I got when I first saw the thing. If anybody has any information on what this might have been or what it might have happened, it would be gen- greatly appreciated. If you have any questions about anything that I may have failed to cover or left out, please feel free to ask, and I will cover it as best I can. I'm not the best artist, but I'm not horrible, and I might be able to sketch something and possibly provide some pictures in the morning if so desired. Lock up your daughters. Shoot your sons. Dead. Because Love Fest is coming to town. The world tour that has been banned throughout the world comes to Vice City. The monsters of rock and roll excess. Love Fest. Get ready for a night of death metal love ballads that'll have you shoving your fists in the air. It's the Steel Heart Stone Cold Prostate Tour, brought to you by Giggle Cream, because dessert should be funny, and the Maibatsu Thunder, because after you get struck by lightning, there's thunder. Come see the pounding rock from the band that brought you hits like Chin Stainer, Liver Buster, and Dangerous Man, Dead Family. Come get Love Fisted. Love Fist at the Vice City Arena. Brought to you by V-Rock. Speaking of getting fisted, this next collection of stories is going to be one of those, like, kind of how we did in the last episode, the rapid firing of short stories. The machine gunning, if you will. And I think I have 16 of them. Some of them are dumb, I'm sure, but I haven't read all of them, so maybe one of them will be scary. First one's titled The Flight, and allegedly these are all true stories. Allegedly. Allegedly. One time, my mother-in-law was sitting in her bed. She looked over and saw a woman sitting in the chair next to her bed with long, pointy fingers and a face with very sharp angles. She was so frustrated and annoyed with Jin, uh, they see a lot in her house, that they're no longer afraid. She just annoyed. That she reached out and grabbed the Jin by the wrist and yelled, Get out, I'm tired of you, get out. Started to try to pull its wrist away and eventually tried to bite her hand because she wouldn't let go. She pulled her hand away before it bit her and the Jin vanished. Uh-huh, yeah, sure. This one's called the Jin and the Locket. At my boarding school, we had a few cases of bullying, and in one instance, a bully broke a chain on a student's neck, and as very soon as it happened, the girl started to speak in a male voice, while her body controlled, contorted in strange positions. She said it was a Jin, and had traveled from a faraway place, and meanwhile, the bully's tongue swelled up and almost prevented him from breathing. Long story short, teachers were called to the room. Apparently, uh, her parents knew she had gotten the chain for their daughter from a shaman to hold the jinn in. Now the jinn was out. The jig was up. Interesting, I say. I approve. Number three, communing with children. And this one has a recording attached to it. <laughs> this happened whenever my, when my grandfather was Egypt's ambassador to Spain. Oh, I'm sure he was. And was living in Spain. I was two years old at the time. My mother said she 
would see me standing by the staircase, constantly talking to somebody, and when she would put me to bed, I would stare out the door and say, I'm not saying that. Later on, my grandmother mentioned to my mom that she thinks I might have been seeing spirits in the house. And when we were talking about it, my grandfather said that the TV in his room turned on and off sporadically, and sometimes he could see shadows running across the balcony through the slits of the blinds. My grandmother said that it's known that it's known that little children and animals can see the spirits, so when they saw me talking to something, they assumed that there were spirits in the house and I was the only one that they could communicate with. I did that when I was a kid. I think a lot of kids do that. All right, this one is an old Persian story called Hooves. One day, a lady goes to a public bathhouse, which I think is just where they sell booty and crystal meth. She pays the attendant, goes inside, sucks some dicks, and once inside, she notices somebody in the room with her. She looks down at his feet, but instead, dude had hooves. Lady freaked out, runs outside as fast as she can, and rushes to the attendant, who tells her... Uh, oh, my God. Runs outside as fast as she can, rushes to the attendant, and tells her that she saw someone with hooves instead of feet. The attendant looked at her. Lifted her skirt and asked, these? Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, this one's called The Busybody. I grew up in an Arab household with many Arab family friends, so I've heard many scary Arab stories. A family friend of mine claimed that she went to bed one night and her whole house was a mess. By the time she woke up, the house was clean. For some reason, that freaked me out when I was little. Every night I made sure that my room was clean so the jinn wouldn't clean it for me. That's genius. Nowadays, being a wife and a full-time college student, I could only pray that the jinn would clean my house for me, and that, uh... What the hell? Cook dinner, too. I care for what you wish for. This one's called The Night Whispers. A few years ago, when I was on my third trimester of pregnancy, I would only be able to fall asleep when dawn came. Just as I was about to fall asleep one night, I felt pressure into my bed near my feet, as if somebody very heavy sat on my bed, which was weird, because I didn't even hear anybody come in the room. No creaking door, no footsteps. Just then, an eerie voice spoke straight into my mind. Jump off the bridge, jump off the bridge, jump off the bridge. The language was unintelligible and distorted, and I knew it wasn't human, but to my surprise, I understood that it was trying to say my brain fully processed it, as if it had learned the language somewhere in the past, and it asked me to pray my morning prayer. I was too sleepy, too scared to actually open my eyes. What if the face was suddenly right in front of my nose while I responded to my head, communicating without opening my mouth? Later, please, I'm so tired I didn't sleep. After I said so, the weight on my bed lifted. The air, which was previously heavy, with presence became light and clear, and I opened my eyes and saw the Earliest morning light gleamed through my window. My door stood still. Nobody came in or out, and I fell back asleep. It's called the landlord. So apparently, in Saudi, my aunt lived in a house that was always being visited by a particular jinn who used to annoy her family. Once she was laying in bed at night with her husband, she felt something was off, and when she left the room, she found her husband watching TV on the couch. When they went back to the bedroom to confront the jinn, it just laughed and walked, What? Once she was laying in bed at night with her husband, she felt something was weird, found her husband watching TV on the couch, then they went back to the bedroom to confront the gin, and it laughed and went away. Yeah, it's pretty spooky. That's the type that scares me. And uh, speaking of things that scare me, let's take a quick break with a note, or several notes, from a fake company that doesn't exist, nor does it sponsor me. We have some sad news for you. Rock and roll is dead and pop is in! Why not discover the excitement of the science of music yourself at Synth and Son, the home of keyboards? Thanks to the science of music, you don't need musical talent to make great music. Just listen! 
I created that just by pressing a button. Synthesizers are the new wave. Why work hard on difficult compositions when a machine can make music better than you've ever dreamed of? You'll be the hit of the party. It's perfect for in-restaurant entertainment, cover bands, and funerals. Make fugues funky and death marches danceable. It's the science of music at Synth, Synth, Synth and Son. Remember, you don't know you're a musician until you try. My great uncle went to visit his cousins in India. This one's called the Territorial Gin. His cousins told him that since it was summertime, they would all sleep in the courtyard together. However, they told him he wasn't allowed to place his bedding in a particular corner. Apparently, a gin slept there, and weird shit happened if anyone disturbed the corner. My great uncle said it was bullshit and decided to sleep there anyway to wave his dick at him. One night, he woke up on the other side of the court. He laughed at first and thought it was his cousins who pranked him and decided to sleep there again. The following night, the same shit happened, so he left a note next to his pillow saying, Stop pranking me, there's no gin. That night, he said he was pushed off his bed and his bedding was thrown to the other side and a note was thrown into his lap which said, I sleep here. Ugh. The scary part is, it wasn't dark and there was no one there. Okay. This one's called Mr. Fantastic. My uncle once told me a story about a couple. The husband used to work in the force, so he would be sent on long trips outside the village. His wife is usually lonely, but she befriends a man. He would sit on her courtyard wall with his back facing her so she could only see his face when he turned around to answer back. It was a sweet friendship. One evening, she asked him to come over for tea and to bring his wife along with her. But instead of getting down and using the door, he took his leg, stretched it down 10 feet down her wall to her side of the yard. He said, why didn't you offer me tea before? I'd love to come to have chai with you. What? Why? What? Stupid. One's called The Husband. My friend was staying in the north of Morocco for the summer, and one morning, she woke up with a triangle of henna on her hand. She showed it to every person in the family, and they said that the only valid reason was she was married to a jinn now. He was never lucky in love ever since. Oh, shit. This one uh, is called Never Leaving Home. Recently, my mother-in-law was helping her daughter fix up her home. As my mother-in-law stood in the hall, she heard somebody whisper in her ear, You think you can move rid of us? Guess what? We're coming for you, too rid of us. Jump off the bridge, jump off the bridge, jump off the bridge. No one else heard it, though. Huh. This one's called The Laugher. My mother was visiting her parents, and while she was praying in her room, she heard her mom laughing at her in the doorway. After she finished praying, she went to my her mom's room and asked, why have you been laughing at me? My grandmother replied, I've been in bed for a few hours now. I wasn't laughing at you, you bitch. My mom concluded that it was a jinn trying to distract her from her prayers, and in the same house you could hear footsteps walking throughout the house and might feel somebody sitting on the bed while you're sleeping or masturbating. I also used to have one in my bedroom. Every night around 3 a.m. I'd hear this old lady crying. I'm so sad, I'm so sad. We lived in the corner apartment on the top floor, and I couldn't find out from where it was coming from. I thought it was coming from under my bed, and it got so bad I stopped sleeping there. The Voices, number 15. In our old apartment, my oldest niece would wake up at 3 a.m. She would hear what sounded like a party going on, hear all of the voices. But when she would go into the living room, the lights would be off, nobody would be there. What the hell? So, they're a lot like poltergeist stories, they're a lot like exorcist stories, they're very scary, uh, but they're kind of reminiscent of other things that we've heard before. Uh, that's all that I have for now, because I'm out of time on today's episode, but if you'd like to hear more, please email me, and I can either do another episode on gin stories, or I can link you to some pretty credible, not credible sources, if you so desire, and, uh, and we can compare notes. 
And I'm going to get into the most influential people, most uh, quickly growing cities for podcast fans after one more fake commercial from someone that doesn't sponsor me or exist. Howdy. Welcome to Farewell Ranch. They say the golden years are the best years of your life, but for many seniors, they just stink up the house and make the grandkids feel uncomfortable with unwanted affection. Now, your old people can be earning you money and enjoying the final years of Farewell Ranch. It's a working farm, cattle ranch, and crematorium where the cowboys are all over 75. They'll enjoy rodeos, working in the fields, and tending all the final resting places of their new friends on Sunshine Hill. Farewell Ranch works your loved ones from sunup to sundown. And when your loved ones passes away, we'll send you a presentation package VHS with the spurs and boots they're wearing as they went on to a better world. Our residents sure love it here. Right, Norm? Is this WW2? Farewell Ranch, the only way to ride into the sunset. Yeah, right into this sunset, Holmes. All right, so the uh, cities that are... You guys are doing great with the spreading the word because you can usually make the assumption that if somebody likes it a lot in one city, they'll tell their friends that probably live pretty fucking close uh, to listen to it. And it seems like there is somebody extremely influential in Houston, Texas, and there has been for quite some time. Houston, Texas, thank you very much. I believe you've probably been with me since the beginning because I have seen Houston on this list, at least the top 10 more often than not. Most cities in Texas that I'm going to name off have been here since. So thank you citizens of the great state of Texas. You guys are very loyal listeners, and I appreciate you. Next, Chicago, Illinois. Newcomer to the list, but you guys do all the same. Here's one I haven't seen before, but almost tied with those two, because Houston and Chicago were tied for the number one spot. Manhattan, New York, followed by Stockholm, followed by Bellevue, Washington. It's another really reliable one consistently here. Knoxville, Tennessee, welcome. Dallas, Texas, New York, New York. Los Angeles, California, you have dropped, friends. Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Tampa, Florida, Portland, Oregon, Indianapolis, Indiana, Charlotte, North Carolina, San Antonio, Texas, Reynoldsburg, Ohio, Orlando, Florida, Reedsville, North Carolina, Nashville, Tennessee. Oh my God, that's hard to pronounce. Uh, Creve Cower, Missouri, Crevy Cooir, Creve Cow, forgive me, I'm sorry, I don't know how to say that. Salt Lake City, Utah, Brentwood, Tennessee, Cheyenne, Wyoming, and Ann Arbor, Michigan. Guys, that's the top list for this week. So thank you all very much for tuning back in. Please don't hesitate to tell your friends, family, anyone that you think will not be offended by me screaming cunt on an internet radio show. And um, I have exciting things coming, I believe, for the upcoming month of October. I'm going to try to work something out with you guys where if you guys can send me, um, preferably, like a very legibly written horror story that happened to you or scary story or story that you want me to read, I'm going to try to do a story a day keeps the fairy men away or something fucking fun where it's like more horror for less. And um, I want to include stories from the listener base. I think it's big enough now. It's grown to the point that listener based submissions thing would be kind of fun. And I would really actually be interested to hear some of the things that freak you guys out and like your experiences. Um, so message me if you could on my I guess send me an email at my very fancy and corporate email account, springheeljack at anthologyofhorror.com. And please check out anthologyofhorror.com for um, easy-to-use platforms to listen to the episodes, download the episodes, whatever. Uh, find the link to the Patreon in the upper, upper right corner of the website, and that's anthologyofhorror.com. And please, uh, you, a lot of you guys have sent me emails like doing 
uh, suggesting ways to improve, things you want to hear. Um, I do listen to them. If you guys take note of the lack of background music, I take your suggestions seriously, and I appreciate them. So please continue to do so, and be sure to get in touch with me at anthologyofhorror.com or send me an email at springheeledjack at anthologyofhorror.com. It may take me a while to get back to you, but I will get back to you as soon as I can. Um, I, I work a graveyard shift job, so I'm often pretty fucking tired. I know a lot of my listeners seem to keep the same hours as me. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate each and every one of you. And until next time, stay spooky.